Welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee Billet. If you employ staff, engage contractors, or rely on people to help deliver your products or services, you're in the right place. Join us each week as we dive in to uncover what makes people tick, learn the best strategies and tactics to build an amazing team, and most importantly, discover how you, the business owner or leader, can unleash the power of your people to help create the successful business you deserve. Let's get started. Hey there, it's Christy Lee here. Welcome to episode number 140 of the People Powered Business Podcast. Wonderful to have you here. I hope you are having a wonderful day, whatever you're up to. And for our new listeners, welcome. Great to have you here. And for our regular listeners who I know tune in for these more technical updates that we do from time to time, welcome back and thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. Now, today we do have a little bit more of a technical episode. You will, if you're a regular listener, you'll know I I don't like to get bogged down in these things too often, but there are occasions where I feel, feel it's really important to bring you all the latest from the technical land of industrial relations law. Now, don't panic. I promise this is not going to be lengthy and it's not going to be too detailed and difficult. I will simplify it all for you and let you know the bits you need to know and the bits you don't <laughs> because, well, if you read the legislation, it's uh, it's great reading to put you to sleep, let's be honest. Nothing that you read <laughs> written for that purpose is fun and entertaining and this is absolutely no different. So I promise to make it short, sharp, simple and relevant for you. So today we're going to chat about the Labor government's industrial relations reform agenda and what their focuses are and why you need to know. I'm going to let you know the bits that we don't know about yet because I am getting a lot of questions from our people-powered HR members and others about what's the latest, what's the latest, and there is a lot that we are yet to learn because there's a lot that's still before Parliament. So there's a lot of decisions yet to be made. So I want to uncover what that is so you know that you haven't missed anything. And I want to let you know what has been confirmed, what is passed as law and what you need to know about right now to be compliant with that law. So that's what we're going to go over. So let's start at the top, the Labor government's industrial relations reform agenda. Now, Like any time that we get a new government, particularly federally here in Australia, there will be change to the industrial relations laws. I I kind of liken it to getting a new CEO in a business or a new leader in a business. People like to make their mark, right? They they want to sort of stamp their uh, mark on the business or on the, um, the portfolio they're responsible for, whatever it is. They want their impact to be felt. And Inevitably, it involves change, making some sort of change. So it's not at all surprising that we are in a situation where there is going to be change to the industrial relations landscape. I think we have to remember we're coming out of a a long period of having a Liberal government here in Australia. Liberal and Labor have very, very different views when it comes to industrial relations. And whilst even under a Liberal government, many would consider our industrial relations laws to have been very employee-focused, as you can imagine, it's going to become even more so under a Labor government who are, of course, all about a fair go for the employees. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, that's not a commentary either way, but it is the reality that they are, of course, going to want to make change and their key focus is going to be on looking after employees. 
This was, of course, part of their election campaign and their election commitment under the Albanese government. So they have to come through with those promises that they made in that election campaign. So the key focuses of the reforms they're going to look to make are going to focus on job security for those who are in insecure employment. I'm going to cover a little bit more about that in a moment. Around protecting employees' rights and enabling employees to better negotiate and bargain for their workplace entitlements. There is, of course, a strong focus, and I think this would have been the case under either government, on gender equity in in terms of pay equity in the workplace, around protecting employees uh, around issues like sexual harassment. I mean, the media coverage around that at the moment is, of course, extraordinary. And we will see a focus on continued wage increases because although as employers, we feel like wages are a little out of hand and if you're hiring at the moment or just trying to retain people at the moment, it's wage costs are massive. There, there's no two ways about it and we're not going to see the heat come off that anytime soon, partly because the market is demanding it. But from the government's perspective, the cost of living increases are not being met with real wage increases. So people are not seeing their wages increase to the same level that the cost of living increases. That puts a whole lot of pressure on families, on uh, households, on uh, ultimately on government for, through welfare. So uh, we will see continued focus on that. So whilst the government doesn't determine what the next wage review is going to look like, they will be putting pressure on it for it to be a decent one because of those factors. Uh, and I anticipate it will be quite a big one again next July. So they're the key focuses they're looking at. They're wanting to protect workers, protect employee rights, create more job security for those in insecure employment, fix this gender pay gap issue in the workplace and continuing to put pressure on wages to increase across the board. So if we drill down a little further, as I mentioned earlier, there's a whole lot that we don't actually know yet. We don't have the answers to. And that's because at the time that I'm recording this, and I will preface this and say by the time it's live, things may have changed um, because I'm recording a few days ahead, um, but there's a lot that's currently before Parliament. So what is currently before Parliament at the time of this recording in where are we, early to mid-November, is the Industrial Relations Reform Bill, which is a 250-page document, interesting reading, known as the Fair Work Legislation Amendment Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill 2022. When the title of something is that long, you can only imagine the detail in this thing. So that that is what is currently before Parliament. Now, Of course, as we head towards the end of the year, Parliament only has, you know, a certain number of sitting days left. Labor would love to see this get through this side of Christmas. We will wait and see whether that happens, of course, and whether it all goes through, what tweaks are required. There are some things here that there is a lot of discussion and tweaking that may need to happen to get it across the line. The first of these and possibly the most contentious uh, piece of this is the planned overhaul to the enterprise bargaining system. Now, as small businesses, which a lot of you are, enterprise bargaining is, is possibly something you have never even entertained the thought of. And in fact, if a small business comes to me and says, hey, I want to set up an enterprise agreement, my advice nine times out of 10, you know, upon hearing their reasons, of course, is it's not going to be worth your time and energy. Just stick to the award because the way it's structured is it's got to meet the better off overall test anyway. And if you're going to have it 
so that it does that, just follow the award. And if you need to create individual agreement, flexibility agreements, go for it. So there is a lot of effort that goes into creating an enterprise agreement, none the least of which is the bargaining process, of course, and I have been involved in them and it can get heated and lengthy and, to be honest, massively time-consuming. So it's not something that a lot of small businesses enter into. It is certainly something that a lot of big businesses do enter into. And sometimes there is really good reason to enter into an enterprise agreement in terms of simplifying things for you. So I recall some years ago, I was working for a hospitality business doing their, we were looking after their HR, my consultancy practice was. And across that business, just because of the complex nature of the business, they had so many different modern awards in play. They had a restaurant on site, they had a function centre, they had a hotel, they had a day spa, they had a cafe, they had a bar, uh, they had a golf course. Um, So as you can imagine, and they had a massive team of gardeners who created the most stunning gardens. When you've got that many different elements to your business, there are a lot of different modern awards at play, I think five or six. So in an attempt to simplify things and have almost one set of rules for everyone across the business, although obviously for different pay scales, they did create an enterprise agreement and it was absolutely worthwhile doing for a business with that much complexity. But for many other small businesses, it's simply not worth it. So, but for big businesses, enterprise bargaining is a big thing and it is something that does take up and consume a lot of time and energy. The key change that Labor are pushing for here is the creation of multi-enterprise bargaining. What that simply means is that people will be able to create enterprise bargaining agreements or enterprise agreements between workers and two or more companies. As an example, let's say you've got a landscape and gardening business and there are five other landscape and gardening businesses who maybe you uh, chat to, you're all part of the same mentor group, something like that. You could get together if these rules go through and with your employees, all of the employees under all of these businesses create one enterprise agreement. Now, there are many reasons that that may actually be really helpful and valid, but I can tell you that business groups are very concerned about this particular element of the reform. And rightly so, it is something that I have a lot of concerns about from a practical, you know, HR practitioner perspective. There's a couple of things. Business groups are definitely pushing for this to be an opt-in so that businesses cannot be forced into a multi-enterprise bargaining situation if they don't want to be. And I'm certainly hoping that that is a tweak that is made. And of course, there is a lot of concern for smaller businesses who might be in this process. Let's say you've got three businesses participating. One business has 200 employees and one business has 20 employees. Uh, whose employees are going to get a bigger vote here? Naturally, the 200 employee. So uh, there's a lot of concerns about how small businesses will fare with this. They are making provisions like it being a percentage of employees from each organization. So it's uh, meet it out a little bit. But there's a lot of question marks in this one for me. And of course, the detail is yet to be released and the devil is always in the detail. But that that will be a, a monumental change if that passes Parliament. I will be watching it closely. And when, when we know more, we will let you know more. I imagine there'll need to be some tweaks to get that through because it is 
it can have some huge ramifications. So that's one to definitely watch out for that we are waiting on. A second really interesting one is the potential that they're pushing for, for the Fair Work Commission to be able to rule on hybrid working models, especially for certain groups of employees. Now, this is fascinating. What we know now is that under the National Employment Standards, there are certain groups of employees who have the ability to make flexible working requests. These are parents of school-aged children, carers. Um, there's a, a, a number of groups of people that have this ability. And the employer has to, where possible, allow for that. But in practice, it doesn't happen, and it certainly doesn't happen that easily. One of the key extensions that the Labor government is looking to make to this is this change to hybrid working models. So when many of us were in the pandemic, we were working from home when we would have ordinarily worked from an office. And a lot of employers right now, and it's a hot topic, are trying to get their employees back to work, back in the workplace, in person. And of course, there's pushback from almost everyone that I speak to who want at least some form of a, some form, I should say, of a hybrid model where they're doing some work from home and some work from the office. This plan will see the protections around flexibility requests extend to hybrid work and it will create a pathway for employees to seek the Fair Work Commission's intervention to enforce the agreement of a hybrid working model. This is not going to sit well with a lot of employers and if this passes, I predict a huge rush of complaints to the Commission on this one. So fascinated to watch that. I suspect that will go through but we'll wait and see. They're also looking to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, protect employees who don't have a lot of job security. And this is going to happen in a few different ways. One of the key ones is going to be really looking to tighten the rules around rolling fixed-term contracts. This is where someone is engaged for 12 months and then at about month 11 they say, let's give you another 12-month contract. It's a much bigger problem in bigger businesses and, and government departments certainly than it is in small business. Um, so that would be interesting to see if they do tighten that. Again, I think it's quite likely that that will go through. Um, so that'll be interesting. That's going to be one of the key things. There's also going to be some protection around what we call gig workers and some reforms around um, the Fair Work Act being extended to cover gig workers, which it currently doesn't in a lot of capacities. So again, the devil in the detail on that one, but I'll be watching that very closely. The government is seeking the ability for the Fair Work Commission to make rulings on equal remuneration orders. Now, this is an attempt to close the gender pay gap that exists. Now, for some of you, you will see this in your workplaces, in your industries, and you will know that it's a thing. For many others of us, we don't see this in our particular industries and it simply doesn't exist, but it does in some places. And we know across the country there is a gender pay gap. So they're really going to seek to close this. And one of the ways they're looking to do that is allow giving the commission more powers, basically, to make equal remuneration orders so that a female is being paid the same as a male in the same role, which seems sensible. An interesting element of that is that they are looking to abolish pay secrecy clauses in employment contracts. Now, I don't know how I feel about this, if I'm honest, um, because I think that your remuneration is a personal and private matter. And unless you want to share it, I don't know how I feel about the uh, abolition of that clause. I guess what they are seeking is that employers can't enforce people to keep it secret, 
But I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence about whether that's a great plan. So we'll see how that plays out. And they are also looking to expand the small claims process. So currently there is a cap of $20,000 in unpaid wages and entitlements that someone can claim. Through the small claims process, Labor are looking to have this lifted to $100,000. That'll be interesting as well. That could be something that also sees a rush of claims being made if that does pass. Um, and finally, they are looking to create a pathway for victims of sexual harassment at work to be able to get uh, the support and the rulings they need from the commissions end more quickly. And interestingly, we are going to see liability shift to employers and business owners in small businesses, in businesses of any sort, I should say, where sexual harassment occurs. So that will mean as a business owner, if sexual harassment occurs in your workplace, not by you, but by an employee of yours, um, you could be liable to some degree for that. This will be interesting, but I'm not surprised at all to see this come into play. How it's going to interact between workplace health and safety laws, which are still state-based and the Fair Work Act is yet to be ironed out, but we will see some change happen there. So there's a lot, as you can see, that we still aren't clear on, but we will have clarity in, I'm sure, the very near future. So that's a lot about what we don't know. What do we know? What has actually happened? There's been two key things implemented that I want to touch on today. The first is an update update to paid parental leave. Now, this is the government-funded paid parental leave scheme, which currently sits at 20 weeks pay at the national minimum wage. Now, we're going to see two key changes here. Firstly, it's going from 20 weeks to 26 weeks at the national minimum wage, but the increases aren't starting until 1st of July 2024. So we're a while off. And there's going to be more flexibility about how both parents can interact with this leave and use this particular leave. Now, that's not a huge consideration for you as an employer or a business owner. You don't need to be paying that. Uh, Of course, it is government funded, uh, but it's just interesting to note. And it is uh, getting us a little closer to the rest of the world when it comes to paid parental leave. So that's interesting. And that is confirmed and happening. Possibly the one thing we do need to keep a closer eye on as employers, because we will be funding this, is the introduction of paid family and domestic violence leave. So this has passed and is confirmed and will be added into the National Employment Standards and Modern Awards. So this is going to come into effect from the 1st of February 2023, although small businesses have until the 1st of August 2023 to implement. And it's going to look like 10 days of paid leave for each employee every year, each employee. Now, this is going to include casuals, which is interesting because casuals currently don't have any other forms of paid leave, so that's a new thing that we're going to have to adjust to. The 10 days is a 10-day lump sum. If If it doesn't get used, it doesn't accrue year on year, it just refreshes and starts again. So if someone uses two days of their paid family and domestic violence leave in the first year, it just gets topped back up to the 10 days the following year. So uh, just refreshes, I guess you would say. And it replaces the current unpaid entitlement that is in the National Employment Standards and Modern Awards. Now, I think all of us would absolutely support any of our team members who are experiencing pay, uh, family or domestic violence in whatever way we can. This is formalising what we have to do as an employer. So it is adding a leave um, burden, I guess you could say, to our cash flow and our bottom line. 
it's just something we need to be prepared for. Of course, we would hope that very few of our employees will ever need to access this kind of leave, but it's there for them if they need it. And of course, the details are yet to be fully released in terms of it hasn't been added to the Fair Work website yet. Um, I know some of our people powered HR members have questions around the nuances of uh, who can use it, how it can be used, what what are the notice or evidence requirements we can ask for. So there's a whole range of detail that will come, but I think it will largely mirror what the current unpaid uh, details look like. It's just going to become a paid leave entitlement. So it is something that we're going to need to budget for uh, as employers. It is something we will be funding and it starts from the 1st of February, 2023. So uh, make sure you're allowing for you know, some portion of it. Obviously, you hope that your employee never has to use it, but it is something you need to be able to budget for and allow for. So they're the two key things that have happened. Paid parental leave, the government-funded version has been updated, and paid family and domestic violence leave will be added to the National Employment Standards at all of the modern awards from the 1st of February 2023. Right, hopefully I kept that digestible enough for you. I will be back in the future to do a full episode on the paid family and domestic violence leave piece once we've got all all of the details and all of the nuances uh, available. So stay tuned for a further episode on that in the future once we have all of those details. So just be aware that there are industrial relations reforms happening right now. There is a whole lot we don't yet know at the time of recording. Maybe maybe some of that will be known by the time the episode goes live, but at the time of recording, there's a whole lot we don't yet know, and there are those two key things that have already happened. Now, if you've got further questions about all of this or you would like to participate in a conversation around the industrial relations updates, I'd love to invite you to join us in our free Facebook group, HR Support for Australian Businesses. I'll pop the link in today's show notes so you can click on it wherever you're listening to this episode um, or simply head over to Facebook group and search HR Support Australia and you will absolutely find us there. That's a wrap for me for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a wonderful week and I'll chat to you again next week on the podcast. 